Well, Mr. LaRue, we were there last night for what seemed like it might be a turning point coming in for both franchises, the Warriors and Suns. Suns massively outperforming expectations so far. Warriors, even with our lowered expectations, were quite below those. And the Suns go on a 30-1 to run in the first quarter. The game was never competitive. And in the midst of that non-competitive game, Steph Curry drives to the basket Aaron Baines jumps in front of him to fall down as the rules incentivize him to do. Nothing dirty about Baines's play, but the rule sucks. We talked about it a million times. Steph Curry falls. Baines falls on his hand, and Steph Curry now has a broken second metacarpal in his left hand. I think they're going to find out today whether he needs surgery or not. But with the Warriors now sitting at one and three, easily the worst point differential in basketball, it appears that any chances of making the playoffs for them are out the window at this point, uh, barring a miracle. A, a good oh, I'm piece. sorry. They, they don't have the worst point differential in basketball. That's the Kings. Yeah. <laughs> that's 21 uh, uh, instead of negative 16.4. Another team we'll talk about. But yeah. I, so, the, yeah, I think the, the most important thing is, is that piece of context about the absence here. So Jeff Stotts in street clothes. The per his database, the average absence is 16 games. But what is notable is there is a huge difference between whether it requires surgery or it doesn't require surgery. So if it if if I if I'm gonna interpret what he wrote and just like as I broke it out, it's I could think you could think of it as the difference, and this is not in the piece of something like 11 games if Curry does not need surgery versus like 22 if he does, and. There are, I mean, I even think the 11 game scenario, the best case scenario, the Warriors still miss the playoffs because they're heavy underdogs on the, like on paper against almost everybody now without Steph Curry. It's a, it's an extremely weak team. And remember now that their, their limitations in terms of creating guards are way more stark. Like what happens when D'Angelo Russell sits, for example, but also because they were worse than we thought they would be when they were healthy. And yeah, there's context like they were missing their centers. Looney's dealing with this neuropathy. Willie Colley Stein is uh, just returned on Wednesday from his, from his foot issue. But those two things combined, I mean, the Warriors weren't looking like a playoff team when Steph was healthy, and then now he's out missing a, a period of time that is indeterminate but will be significant. So yeah, I mean that that totally changes things. And also, I think what's going to be really fascinating about this, and it's not an immediate decision, are the ripple effects that this has in terms of how management and how Steve Kirst approaches this for Draymond Green, for Clay Thompson's potential return, everything like that. Because I mean, once you once you're out of the playoffs, which the Warriors have not been since 2012, you think about these things very differently. Well, and the last time the Warriors were out of the playoffs, we know how they thought about it. Yeah, I mean, for those who don't remember when the Warriors were super bad, first of all, you can also read my book on, on history where a lot of it's on the, the, the sour stuff before all the success. But they brazenly tanked to retain the pick that became Harrison Barnes. They actually still had to win a coin flip to keep it. But that was when Joe Lacob and Peter Gruber owned the team. So it is not this circumstance of, oh, that was Chris Cohan or something else. No, no, they did that. It was the right decision. And Harrison Barnes helped them win a championship and helped them lose another one. But it it is important to kind of put that pragmatism into perspective and it's it's easy to make the aggressive winning decisions when your team can actually win and i'm no but then the other huge part of this and i I, this has come up a couple different times in our conversations and also my own writing is steve kerr now has a very different set of circumstances and so what i want to see from kerr is how different does his approach go without steph curry is this because what should happen in an ideal world if a coach is going to maximize his talent is this becomes a much more basic much 
less ball and player movement heavy offense because they don't have the players to pull that off yeah and presumably they will run everything through d'angelo russell who was certainly not fitting in that well to the warriors motion heavy scheme because uh movement is not his best trait as a player (laughs) i think it is pretty clear just like physically moving quickly around the basketball court is not something that he does all all that well and obviously it was taking him a while to just understand the concepts anyway and now he's their only player really who can run pick and roll i mean now maybe curl say hey because we don't have as many individual creators we got to double down on all the ball movement stuff but uh i mean you can only get so many back doors per game and a lot of those back doors come from the fact that you have these great shooters and the threat of them coming off of screens so to me this is the best thing that could have happened to the organization it's very clear that they weren't going anywhere this season alec burks and willie collie sign were back neither of them looked amazing in their first game Draymond green has been battling injuries has an elbow injury his shooting has been way off although you know off compared to most players about what it's been for the last two three years for him and jacob evans who even had given them a few decent minutes uh he's out probably three or more weeks uh, with the left groin injury uh although they did pick up his option so if they do feature russell more it'll hopefully boost his trade value he'll put up some stats presumably the same people minnesota who were so interested in him after his performance in brooklyn can fall right back in love with him because he's just doing all the same stuff that he was doing in brooklyn they won't have as much shooting around him so he probably won't be quite as good but uh and he did shoot it perhaps unsustainably well from the mid-range in particular last year but if it's there for russell he's going to get enough to eat that he'll at least look good they can maybe move him before the bloom is off the rose there uh everyone now will conveniently forget how bad they were in the first three games if you know this does end up being a longer term injury for Steph uh, of over a month and they're just totally out of it when he comes back and they can blame all the injuries for this instead of just how poorly this team was built for the fact that they were utterly non-competitive through the first four games uh you know steve kerr is off the hook his coaching is gonna be questioned he just doesn't have the talent at this point realistically to be any good draymond green had been terrible other than in that new orleans game when they're playing against a g league defense um i mean the biggest thing that was so jarring to me in this game against the suns was especially offensively in the first half like steph curry and draymond green were the biggest problems to me like it wasn't even these support players like they just kept trying to force the ball into traffic they gave up nine steals in the first half a lot of those turns were dre and steph curry uh draymond didn't have any kind of an impact defensively steph just uh, much as i have been at uh, maybe the biggest steph stand out there just was not playing at a top five player in the league type of level the, the first five games uh, before he got hurt uh particularly in the home games he had two three-pointers that hit the side of the backboard from the right corner in this game so everyone's off the hook at least for now you know at some point draymond and stuff are gonna have to come back and play like the superstars that they're gonna be expected or star maybe in green's case but now they can focus on development. I think that the biggest thing they got to hope is that Steph doesn't come back and ruin a potential top 10 pick, but then they go into next season. They've got that $17 million trade exception for Iguodala that they have to use very quickly, but they'll have plenty of time with the draft to do that. They can use Russell potentially as trade fodder. They'll have their first round pick, which is top 20 protected at Brooklyn and then turns into a 2025 second or maybe it's 2026, but uh, they're going to keep that now. So that's, that's good. They can either use that draft pick if they get some real luck or trade it for someone who can really help. Clay Thompson presumably won't even play this year. He'll just come back next year. And then, you know, they'll 
have the ability to build a team around Steph, Clay, and Draymond that could be competitive using this pick or actually just use the pick too. That'll be a matter of some controversy what they decide to do. Uh, and then it'll just be, all right, well, how good are those three guys still? Um, and if Russell is still around, how good is he? I mean, that's the other thing that'll be kind of, uh, that they're off the hook for is like, you know, how bad of a fit Russell was with this group and that he's not that good and they gave him a max contract. So, um, long soliloquy there, but I, I think it's, Ah, I was not done. I saw you unmute. I am not done yet. <laughs> okay, I'm done. One name that came to mind this morning when I was kind of piecing together everything was David Robinson. And this is, first of all, most scenarios do not work out as well as the David Robinson one did for the Spurs. But the idea of everything kind of quote unquote going wrong at the same time and that helping you build out for another kind of run is possible here. I'm not saying I expect it, especially considering the Warriors draft record isn't fantastic. Yeah, yeah Kevin but- Pelton reminded us in his uh, piece about this that David Robinson and actually came back from the back injury when they were three and 15 and then broke his foot and and was yeah. shut down for well and years. and elliot was hurt that year too right yeah yeah i mean they they had uh, and he really was kind of not uh, a major player after that so yeah they, they had a lot of a lot of issues after getting close to 60 wins the year before as i recall yeah so what what we talked about um is that obviously that's the big news you have to start we have to start in san francisco with that but we have a mailbag to get to so what we're thinking is we'll do the mailbag and then we have a lot more news we'll do that that at the end so if you want to there are a lot of things trey young and some option decisions and a few other injuries around the league so we'll get to all that but you have some really good questions so i think we should go there next yeah we do uh, but before we do that i would encourage you guys to read all the coverage if you're interested from the warriors angle on steph's injury tim kawakami interviewed joe lacob ethan had a great piece slater had a great piece uh, on what happens to the warriors from here and you can do that at the athletic theathletic.com slash casthaste can get you 40% off a yearly subscription. If you get that yearly subscription, it comes out to just $2.99 a month at that athletic.com. I always say athletic.com. That is wrong. Theathletic.com slash capspace URL. And of course, that is where Danny is now working as a national writer. What kind of pieces are you going to be doing this year? I'm going all over. I'm working on a 30 piece series previewing the not only the seasons but the off seasons for everybody. And then I'm I, I'm working on some big picture stuff. How the how the extensions that that were just signed affect the 2020 off season and and just a lot of fun stuff. And also working with the amazing group that we have doing collaborative pieces. Also consulting. I did some on uh, Sam Amick's recent piece about Anthony Davis's situation. And so yeah, a lot of, a lot of different threads. And it is. For readers, but also for us as writers, it's an amazing confluence of talent. And so we can all, we all communicate with each other. We work together. And like, for example, I wrote this, I did this piece with John Krasinski last year talking about Jimmy Butler's options with the Timberwolves way back when he was on the Timberwolves. And those things are going to become more common too. Yeah. The collaborative pieces are the ones I've been enjoying a lot. Seth Partnow has been collaborating with individual beat writers for some stat focused questions about those teams. Obviously, my other podcast partner now, John Hollinger, is with the athletic also um when you said off-season previews i you're like i'm doing off-season previews forever i was like i'd like you to write my off-season preview actually when, when we uh we go what, what is nate duncan uh gonna be gonna be doing this off-season what what is he gonna get better at uh, i i mean I, I feel like you i feel like it's just gonna be involved at least one long car trip so i have to, I have to talk <laughs> yeah, about that yeah and and uh if my injury history is any indication a lot of rehabilitation yeah <laughs> as, some as cold well. some cold packs 
I just, yeah, I just, I, I, I'm never healthy. I can never work out my game. I'm just too injured. Uh, anyway, all right. Theathletic.com slash catspace again uh, is how you sign up with them. Don't forget that slash catspace URL. Theathletic.com slash catspace lets them know that you came from us. All right. Our intrepid director of basketball research, Ben Dull. You can follow him at Ben underscore Dull. Also does a great job on the NBA cast. Put together some good questions here around the league. Let's start with at Growth America. Kendrick Nunn, fake or real? And why did no one see him coming? Well, I think he's real in the sense that he can create shots. Uh, He was coming off the bench for the Warriors G League affiliate in Santa Cruz last year. Supposedly, they wanted to sign him to a deal themselves, but the Heat got to him first. Smart move by them. I think this is a move that we'll see more of. The Lakers also did this with Jamario Jones of signing guys, and not this is like some huge innovation, but signing guys at the very end of the season, you know, for like 2000 bucks or whatever it is for a, a game. I guess it's more than that. It's like 10,000. Uh, and then getting them to that two years after that, that's what the Heat are doing with none. So then they'll have full bird rights on him after that. They gave him, I think, like 100,000 guaranteed or something like that. Uh, um, because once they were out of the playoffs, uh, they kind of had some roster spots uh, to burn uh, on guys that they had identified in the G League. And he had a, a pretty good summer league. I think he looks more athletic to me than I recall back when he was a, a warrior summer leaguer. But there really was not very much statistically to see this coming. He had been, you know, pretty decent ball handler, good size as like a combo guard. Uh, but you know, pretty much average true shooting in the G League, twenty-seven percent usage. But you know, just looked like a G League quality sixth man type. There wasn't anything that just blew up there. And generally, this type of player in the G League doesn't necessarily translate as well. It's sometimes it's the role players who translate a little bit better because if you're just a big scorer in the G League and you're not just unbelievably efficient, there's a big. Dr- step up in terms of having to be the primary creator against nba defenders and so a lot of times guys can't do that so this did come out of absolute nowhere it's shocking to me that he's starting still now you know his even his good games have not been unbelievably efficient and you know like he had a 7 to 18 game just recently his 20 point games that he's i suspect that it's going to drop off to where he's kind of more of a bench scorer type for them uh and certainly someone who comes in and is capable of creating offense but not we're not going to be he's not going to be like in the rookie of the year conversation by the end of the year i think he's uh as jimmy butler gets more integrated into what they're doing i mean i think he might be able to give them more production than the suspended Dion waiters or not officially suspended but not traveling with the team anymore he's, he's at least getting paid now uh so, I mean, from a scouting perspective, I, I mean, what have you seen from him, Danny? Like you said, I think of him more as a scorer than a creator, though he can generate some separation, which can then create shots for other people. And generally speaking, that player type, especially now that they have Jimmy Butler, I think that that's more conducive to the bench. I I still like Goran Dragic more. I've been a Goran Dragic believer for a long time. But none, even establishing yeah. it himself... Seems, it as, seems like Dragic just can't play enough minutes. Like, he's yeah, just going to be... That might, that, yeah. and, and that might be part of it, and, and none certainly can. Something that I thought was interesting 
about Nunn's history, which one could think that I would have looked up when he was in the Warriors kind of farm system last year. But his pedigree is more is more along the lines of somebody who has because because of his unusual path. So Nunn was, you know, he played in the FIBA under 17. He was identified as a high end talent. He was a four star recruit, went to Illinois, ended up uh, leaving Illinois due to a, um, a battery charge. And so it isn't like he was a two star recruit that ended up breaking out being a mid major and all that. Like he was an athletic talent at a young age. He went to Simeon, went to high school that that, that you're yeah, familiar he, with. He won four straight uh, state championships with Jabari Parker. With Jabari Parker. And so that part of it was was notable to me. And then the other thing that I just wanted to clarify, and I'm not defending them in any way, shape, or form, is that I, I've, I've heard some people say, oh, like, oh, the Warriors really screwed up. You know, they 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 had him and, and all that stuff. It is true that they did. And he was in Santa Cruz. And if he showed this in Santa Cruz, they had that ability. But it is it's also worth noting that Kendrick Dunn was not on a two-way contract last year. He was available for any other team to sign before Miami did. And so if anybody else had seen it too, they could have done it. And they had their G League scouts and he had played, of course, in Summer League and everything else. So yes, it is more the Warriors failing than anybody else. But it wasn't a circumstance where, you know, they had exclusive rights and just did anything. It was just that I don't think anybody really saw this coming. Well, and also realistically, given the fact that they only have 14 players, I mean, I guess they might have, uh, and since he wasn't a second round draft pick, he would have cost the same as, you know, an Alec Burks or a Glenn Robinson the third. They still were, would have had Pascal and Smiley Geach on the, the roster. I'm not sure where his roster spot would have been coming from. Well, and also remember Warriors. that this happened in April. And so the Warriors didn't necessarily know where the team was going. And then it would have been a roster situation for last year. Yeah. Um, but one more on him though, not shooting it that well at the rim. I mean, he's not an explosive athlete. I mean, that's kind of the thing that stuck out to me watching uh, a lot of his possessions, uh, which I did to prepare for this was, you know, he's not blowing by guys. He's more just smooth, capable, more athletic than I remember, but still not, you know, a high end NBA athlete. He's shooting extremely well from three forty four percent, but that's not something that is in his pedigree to just be that level of a three point shooter. Uh, he's shooting it extremely well from floater range right now and taking a you know a fair amount of shots uh of twos from short range but outside the restricted area that makes up about 31 percent of his shots and shooting over 50 percent on those and then he's only 50 percent at the rim so the shooting is going to regress he's at 58 percent true shooting right now but again that the ways that he's hitting aren't quite sustainable. So I, I think he'll be a nice story. I think he'll be in the rotation. I am guessing that they, he eventually is going to fall out of that starting group, though. All right, I'll let you pick the next one here. Oh, uh, let's go. I think this is more of a clarification question than anything else. Uh, from Nephew Sims, if Indiana continues this slow start, do they deal Sabonis on that new deal he has? And why I want to do this is to explain how the poison pill provision works. I might actually write this in a piece for The Athletic at some point soon. The reason it is incredibly hard to trade Sabonis is that the poison pill is largely gone from the from the CBA. It was it was a thing a few CBAs, a few agreements ago, but it but basically what it does is it says if a player on a signs a rookie scale extension, their outgoing and incoming salaries are not the same. And so in Sabonis's case, what you do is as outgoing salary for the Pacers, he would only count it as current 1920 salary, which is very low because he was, you know, was a mid first round pick. But for the acquiring team, 
Sabonis would count at the average of the entire contract, so meaning the extension and this year. So it is technically possible for a team to have the, usually it'd be cap space, you could theoretically structure a trade that was big enough where the, that discrepancy would ma- wouldn't matter. But nobody has that cap space right now. So functionally, these guys, while they are not technically untradeable, they are functionally untradeable. So even if the Pacers wanted to do that, it would be exceedingly hard for them to trade Sabonis in season. Yeah, when you say that the poison pill, also known as base year compensation, doesn't apply where there used to be other situations in which exactly they they, they, they now, stripped they stripped out the other things yeah and so really the only way you could do it would be if the team that was receiving him had cap space or a trade exception large enough to take him in because that team or a third team were involved because when you say okay the outgoing salary is what he's making this year which is 3.5 million and then over the life of the contract uh, he's averaging about 19 million so when we say his outgoing salary for the pacers is 3.5 million that means that they can only take back salary that would be commensurate with the 3.5 million dollar player whereas the team that's receiving him his incoming salary for them is you know whatever that average would be about it it's 15 six i looked it up thanks yeah so they would have to have a trade exception that big alternatively the pacers themselves would have to have a trade exception big enough to take back a player that would match salary with the 15.6 million that's incoming for the other team it would be extremely complicated and for all these players healed jalen brown etc who have extended you run into that issue of of them effectively being untradeable now in the summer maybe that changes i did think it was very noteworthy that the pacers saw miles turner go out last night and then sabonis just absolutely destroyed jared allen and deandre jordan deandre jordan uh not so physical with that huge body uh suppose just went right through them he had 29 points and the pacers got their first win of the season against again a team they match up well against with only one center because brooklyn has no size or athleticism but that is noteworthy i mean and miles turner however is tradable because his extension is now kicked in fully and maybe if turner's going to miss time now with this sprained ankle so maybe they play so well with Sabonis that they say hey let's try and trade turner to you know a clippers or a celtics or you know a team that really needs some room protection um Andrew Zagin, so I, th- I think that's how it is, Z-A-G-I-N, analysis on Kawhi's passing ability and numbers and where these assist totals are coming from. Well, let's keep in mind, number one, that his role has changed with the Clippers, especially with their starting group, right? He was he worked more in ISO last year. They haven't done as much for that of that with him with the Clippers where he's getting the ball uh, on a wing ISO on a post up turning and going to work. You're not going to get as many assists out of that situation. If you do draw help, then it's a kick it out, swing, swing type of deal. You know, there's no roll man right there that you can throw it to. Uh, so I think he's been used more in pick and roll this year. He doesn't have Kyle Lowry on the team or Fred Van Fleet. He's playing with Beverly, who's not really a pick and roll point guard at this point in his career. He's more of a, a spot up option. Shamit. And then, you know, he's playing a sub with Lou Williams, but that's they've been staggering those guys a, a little bit more um and lou generally is not gonna be a guy who's gonna set up others he'll run the pick and roll and make the play but that's usually he'll be getting set up uh as a spot up guy more uh, around a lou williams pick and roll so that's number one is just the opportunity but clearly 
the passing has been awesome so far another aspect of that is Toronto didn't really have a role man with any gravity right Serge Ibaka more of a pop guy Mark Gasol more of a pop guy Montrose Harrell is one of the best role guys in the NBA and Vita Zubac is probably underrated in that regard as well as Kawhi has shown a nice capability with him so that's a lot of it is the situation but I'd say even more it's just the guy is looking way way better I mean some of these passes that he's throwing us particularly to the role guy where it's just quick hitters just little taps with his hand the angles that he's finding on some of these bouncers finding shooters a, a lot more using one-handed passes using those huge hands to almost throw it like a baseball at times uh the variety has been awesome I mean and a lot of people find the Clippers Jovan Bua has been over this from the very start of the season or all over I should not rather than over it so yeah I mean I think clearly there's been some skill development there the pieces around him make it work they've got a lot of shooting it helps a lot too that you know Patrick Patterson on that starting unit is shooting the lights out they've got Shamit there um but I mean well I, well, I have a, I have a stat on that if you player. want it sorry yeah. I, part of the reason that his assist rate has spiked so much is because the recipients of those passes are hitting shots. So, so far on on pick and rolls where where he's passed out, this is as far as I'm reading it from Synergy, his teammates are 15 of 24 on those shots. So that creates a lot of assists. You know, if, if, if your teammates are shooting 63% off of your passes out of pick and roll, then you're converting those a little bit. But the numbers are still pretty striking. Again, four game sample size because he's sat in the loss against Utah. But Kawhi's career high assist rate, assist percentage, that's the stat that uh, Basketball Reference uses, his career high was 19%. Right now he's at 49%. And obviously that's going to go down for a bunch of different reasons. But I think as you're right, the, the, the fundamentals are different. You know, like he is a better, more willing passer right now than he has ever been before and credit to Kawhi for for adjusting his approach Doc Rivers and for having this system around him and the other big thing that's going to change is just how does this offensive dynamic shift once Paul George is available to play and that might lower Kawhi's assist numbers even though it might make their overall offense more dynamic and potent just because the, the ball will move differently once Paul George is on the floor yeah and let's not forget too last year Kyle Lowry was leading the NBA in assists for a large yeah. part of the season and so there's only so many assists to go around on a team and that Toronto team needed him to be more of that ISO scorer here especially in that starting group they really need him to be the main playmaker where do you want to go next here um let's do this one from from call cactus considering how valuable transition points Wait, so I, i've always wondered this uh, it's please, kernel please, cactus yeah yeah please, please let me know if if because I, I mean you know it, that seems like a great clue character right kernel cactus yeah <laughs> it's actually um a, a bit of an aside here my wife and i love the games cards cards against humanity and a lot of the standard cards just like aren't that funny especially when you you play a fair amount or frankly are just like a little problematic and offensive so and yeah i mean i get that that's the point of the game but like there are certain cards that just like go a little bit too far for 2019 in my opinion and also aren't funny so we like cross out a bunch of the cards and we should actually play with uh you and your girlfriend sometime uh but so we cross out a bunch of the cards and put in our own answers and or our own questions and you can buy extra cards for that too and so one of the ones that we have is uh naming clue characters um that's all that that's what made me think of that with uh with colonel cactus but uh anyway well colonel cactus colonel cactus in the podcast <laughs> with the question um considering how valuable transition points were for the kings last year is it possible that the contributions of one willie 
Macaulay Stein were undervalued by them a little bit? And to me, the answer is yes. But I don't know if it was necessarily undervalued. It was just that they wanted to go in a different direction. And I do think that Macaulay Stein, his uh, his aggressiveness running the four helped open things up for the Kings in transition. Now, you can't get as much from that if De'Aaron Fox isn't as awesome as he was in transition last year. But they all run together in an ecosystem. It created clean looks for Buddy Heald, Bogdanovich, numerous other players in transition. And Dwayne Dedman, even Rashawn Holmes, they're not the same player. The idea behind Dedman was presumably to get better at the things that Cauley Stein was worse at and that that was more important than what he gained. But I do think that what we should acknowledge the importance of what Cauley Stein did contribute last year. Yeah, I mean, when John and I were disagreeing, John Hollinger and I were disagreeing on on our first pod that we ever did together, and he picked the Kings for 30 wins, he had a hilarious tweet today where he's like, yeah, I'm sorry, Kings fans, uh, for overrating your team in my team preview and and causing this to happen, (laughs) which was pretty funny, Uh, but... And he was like, oh, yeah, they're really going to miss Cauley Stein running the floor. I'm like, ah, come on. How important was that really? But, uh, yeah, maybe it is pretty important. I mean, I think the bigger problem, though, is Bogdanovich, Heald, haven't been any good. And the, and the guys that they brought in that I thought would help, like Deadman has already lost his starting spot. He only played four minutes last night in a brutal loss at home to the Hornets, who have been friskier than expected, but still the hornets you if you want to do anything you need to beat the hornets at home this year hornets over baby yeah yeah that's looking not bad pj washington uh but so i would i would say maybe that's a factor he's probably Collie sign certainly gave them more last year than deadman is giving them this year also probably worth noting too that after trading for harrison barnes the kings really weren't that good and bagley has been out too which dubious i mean he would help their offense i think that's pretty clear at, at a minimum which has been one of their biggest struggle points um why don't we transition to this one since we're talking kings uh nisku 98 n-s-c-o-o 98 i really enjoy doing these twitter mailbags to just like read out their twitter handles uh also ben i I (laughs) might encourage him to actually like put the people's name in rather than just their handle although i am enjoying this right now uh Grade Vlade Divac's GM tenure, Danny. For those who don't remember, Divac took over the Kings in March of 2015. So he has had five off seasons and then, you know, parts of other things to put his imprint on the team. And he has been significantly better in the last year and a half of that five-year tenure. But I'm I'm still in the F range. I might give him an F plus because the beginning of that was about as disastrous as it can be. I mean, the Rondo trade, the, sorry, the trade for cap space that became Rondo because almost every other good player was, every good player yeah. was off the market. And, is, and Bellinelli and, and Costa Cufos, don't forget them. Yeah, Bellinelli and Costa Cufos. That might be, well, we might do this pod again now that we're getting actually close to the end of the decade, doing like a worst trades of the decade pod. Yeah. But it might be like it, it and it's and it's different than let's say like the Harden trade where that was catastrophic because of what Harden became. We said at the time that the Rondo that the the 20 that was 2017 I believe, right? Uh well no, that was 2015. And, and we did the the podcast. That was actually one of our like seminal podcasts initially uh like I I remember it because I was in Oroville, California at the time taking a deposition and we recorded it in my hotel room after the deposition was over and the audio quality was its typical total shit uh from that time i think i actually might have even like forgotten my mic and i had to just use like my computer microphone that might have um, happened 
thank you for listening if you've been listening that long because uh our audio quality was really terrible and i i just had no idea how to make it decent at that time not that it's like so amazing now but at least it's like listenable but anyway yeah no it was it was like august 4th of 2015 or something that we recorded that and that trade had happened a month earlier and we still ranked it as like one of the worst trades of the decade and it actually and ultimately it probably actually ended up hurting less than you would have thought just because of their totally unexpected success last year but now that's looking like it was a complete aberration right i mean you even your opinion of him would have to have changed a ton just based on how they've started this year now maybe they'll turn it around but firing the coach who gave them that success to bring in luke walton who i mean i think there's no possible way to argue that he hasn't been worse than jaeger was last year um and you know jaeger is a tough guy to get along with but maybe if he did a good job you figure out a way to do that um yeah so you're you're saying f plus i mean let's go back and really look at it here um what are the good moves that he has made i think i'm going straight f i've thought about it more um i i think identifying you know like there there were moments in time where like the deer and fox pick was good i think that's one pick was very good yeah we were we uh i think both of us liked other players better uh at the time conceptually usually trading from trading the 10th pick for the for two like i think it was 15 and 20 something the, yeah yeah zach collins for justin jackson and harry giles now it would require making better selections when you move down and also worth noting that donovan mitchell was available then and that would have been amazing they could have had fox and donovan mitchell in the same draft um and i mean uh, and, and and mitchell i believe was 11 so he was picked right after this isn't a circumstance of hey donovan mitchell was picked 10 picks later or anything like that um um well yeah so any other good moves i mean i guess you know they, they've kind of since can't oh Ken trading, trading the marquise chris pick for i mean the drafting Papianis was bad but getting bogdan bogdanovich in that trade he was the best thing in it yeah easily yeah and and, and that was not a particularly a great draft either so kind of uh, trading down for that. and they, they got scal in that too which i mean i think that it didn't work out with scal uh but you know i still think that he was a good risk at 28 um but i mean i i I would agree with you on f because number one that rondo trade was just so dumb they've gotten i mean their front office is better now he's got more people to help him like they're not gonna they're they're not gonna do something like that again but bagley over Doncic, the fuck is that like luka Doncic looks uh, like he's gonna be like a superstar and bagley might be a nice player but i don't think he's gonna be a superstar um well and, so, and then you also have the the horrible contracts for veterans the the member remember the offseason when people thought they actually did well when they signed george hill and zebo uh yeah we were not among those people we were not but, among those people but that, i mean at least they haven't gone longer than two years on some of these could, um, could we say could we say that the best is, is it possible that the best trade that vlade's made was trading scott perry for a second round pick <laughs> I mean, it is true that the Cousins trade worked out better for them than we expected. That's, that's true. Yeah, I mean, that actually, and now, you know, I mean, Cousins tore his Achilles, right? I mean, they, that's, they didn't know that was coming. He hadn't been unhealthy until that point. Right, but, and, and um, healed and healed broke out like a full year and a half, yeah. I believe, well, well, after the trade. I mean, also, it's kind of like everyone just assuming that Buddy Heald is really good. Like, but you know, at age twenty six, he had a season that was way above where he'd been before, and now he has he's been terrible this year so far. So, I mean, obviously, we're evaluating them at a at an absolute nadir. Like, they're not going to continue to be this bad this year. At least, I hope not. But. um yeah, I mean, F-plus has got to be it because, I mean, the Doncic thing, that was just like, that was just a layup, man. Like, and they he just like shanked it off the bottom of the rim. Or, or, or maybe it's like, instead of taking a layup, he like kicked out for a contested mid-range jumper that, that you know, that might still go a, in. A, a Harrison but. Barnes contested mid-range jumper? 
<laughs> yeah, that Barnes trade and contract, that's not looking too good either. Well, yeah, and, F and, plus. I think it's got to be F plus. I mean, and, and then, yeah. And, and to be last year, like, just good enough to convince themselves that, like, they're there and they sign all these. But again, they're they're at least, the good thing, I think this is Ken Catanella's influence, is they're at least, like, not tying themselves down forever with some of these contracts. But Oh, um, they also also traded Scal for Caleb Swanigan, which is one of the just weirdest, <laughs> dumbest, like, dumbest trades. Yeah, I mean, Scal might still, uh, I, I can't even finish that stuff. All right. Um, you Good, good, good. <laughs> you, you're not going to say anything bad about Scal. You, you know how that goes. Uh, I, I just, I just sort of trailed off there. Um, all right. I, I'm shocked we haven't done the Mark the Mark Asselstein question yet. Well, okay. Well, we before before we do that, we can tease uh, upcoming questions from at Redneck NBA and at Flatulent underscore Brian and at Umbilical Kid. Uh, we'll be doing all those after the break here for a new sponsor. I actually drove into the city the other day to drop this off for Danny so he could talk about these guys. The away carry on. What are your initial impressions? I really like it. Uh, I am very particular. This will not be a surprise to people uh, about what I what I travel in because it needs to you know it needs to fit where it needs to fit, but also roll well and and something that I, I really like about the Waybag is how well thought out it is. And I was working through it has a a TSA allowed really cool lock, which is something that I haven't had in my other bags, but already really like. But it, it's just it's just a great bag. It's really well thought out. It's uh, this the spaces for what you need um i'm going to be traveling a fair amount in the next couple of months and i'm really excited to use it and i mean the just the having all of the different features i mean i've never really thought of luggage as being advanced but it absolutely is the thing i'm most excited about uh, for that there's two things number one if you still have one of those suitcases that only has two wheels you need to look at it away suitcase immediately it is a complete game changer to have four wheels so you can actually just push it around the two-wheeled suitcase for me dragging it behind me like it would always like at least once or twice through the airport i would just like hit my heel with the suitcase because i'm pretty tall and like it would be dragging behind me and i kind of stop and hit and or change direction you can't really change direction very well like this you can just sort of like push it in front of you with like zero resistance like the wheels on this thing are really nice and their customer service is what i'm most excited about though like suitcases are designed to last a lifetime and they have great customer service to arrange to have it fixed or replaced asap previous suitcases i've had they've gotten broken has just been this incredibly difficult process of like okay do you go to the store you have to like drive out to some facility that's like an hour and a half away away also has a hundred day trial on everything that they make so you can take it out you can live with it travel with it and if you decide it's not for you you can return any non-personalized item for a full refund no ifs ands or asterisks you can also see it for yourself at one of their stores but we know that you would much rather give us the credit and go to awaytravel.com slash capspace and use the promo code capspace during checkout that'll get you twenty dollars off your suitcase and double your capspace with the capspace slash capspace url and the capspace code that's awaytravel.com slash capspace and use the promo code capspace to get your twenty dollars off getting away means getting more out of every trip to come and don't forget to use that cap space code and let them know that you came from us. All right, who are we going to next here? Well, it was the one I teased. Uh, we'll start with Mark Asselstein. Uh, which star is in the worst shape? This seems like a question that was destined to be Nikola Jokic, but the answer is also Nikola Jokic. Well, uh, this is a, a, an early dunked on trope, but 
are we talking about cardio or body composition? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, body composition, yes. The, the answer is Jokic. He actually had quotes saying that he feels like he plays better when he's heavier. I mean, the guy did make it through like a 65-minute game. Like, he's played the most minutes in NBA history. Uh, I do think he looks more out of shape, both in terms of being heavier and just his effort level early in this season. D'Angelo Russell, I don't know if you call him a star. Uh, the coaches in last year's Eastern Conference seem to. Uh, but he is not in very good shape. Draymond Green, it'll wax and wane for him too. He, his cardio is always good. It's more a question for him of uh, how his body is, how athletic he is finishing at the room. I think he's gotten into better shape, but he'll certainly wax and wane at times. Uh, anyone else come to mind for you? No, I think that's about the whole thing. Embiid? Yeah. I, I mean, he's uh, he's certainly gotten into better shape since he yeah. started. If, if, and... if only if only he was comfortable swimming, that would be a real big help for him. <laughs> Isn't there something weird? Like he's, he's like, he's, afraid of the water or something i think i've heard that like we grow from growing up or something uh i don't know i remember that that came up during a live show somebody talked about it oh yeah he was oh, oh so he said i'm scared of he said i'm scared of water when barkley said he should swim that's right that's what happened oh uh, yeah and he's scared uh, and there's the video of him on a water slide that's right all right redneck at redneck nba how sustainable is pascal siakam's start i'll leave you to get his shooting numbers here in a second uh because uh mr redneck nba asked about his shot in particular he's hitting it enough right now that he has to be guarded out there and that is making him absolutely unstoppable i haven't really gone through it but he might be my pick again for most improved player we i talked about that possibility coming into the season um but he is nearly impossible to match up with now i mean you could probably count 10 players now if he keeps shooting like this who can match up with him because he's hitting jumpers off the dribble threes even mid-rangers and remember the plan that changed that philly series and almost won philly the series was putting joel Embiid on him and then just not guarding him and then when he tried to get to the basket against Embiid, Embiid was just too big and he would stop him. Also, Siakam was dealing with injury during that series, it must be noted. But now, if he keeps shooting like this, that strategy is no longer viable. And that means that you really are going to require like a Draymond Green type or a Kawhi, someone who's quick enough and strong enough to deal with them because any even traditional combo forward, he's probably going to overwhelm with his size and those spin moves inside. And you'd have to bring double team help at that point. So putting the center on him was great. But if he's going to just shoot over that guy and then that guy has to get out on the floor and he's going to get blown by, now you, you're you really limited to guys who are really strong and can move their feet. And, you know, you can count those probably on two hands in the NBA. But uh, how unsustainable is the shooting so far just from a statistical standpoint? Uh, somewhat unsustainable. So overall, he's Siakam shooting 46% on jumpers, 44% from three. That is in comparison to last year where it was 40% overall 34% on three. So that's a full 10% up. So I, I think a modest decline there. But what I think is most most interesting is, well, so he's doing absolutely well, really well on pull-ups. So he's 15 points on 14 pull-ups. That's over a point per possession there is very strong. And then also 1.3 points per possession on catch and shoot. So I think both of those are a little bit rosy, even if he's made real strides. Like, you know, it's kind of the idea of regression to the mean that he maybe he's better than he was, but he's just not this good. Maybe something kind of like what we talked about with Vooch, where last year, you know, he did a lot better, but most of that was repeatable. I think that could largely be true with Siakam. I mean, and, and he's been effective in so many different phases of offense. So I think that he can be dominant, even if it's not as extreme as it's been so far all right you want to do a little uh lightning run here well there's one that i want to spend a little bit more time with and it's um from reno 18 
And it's, is the Suns defense legitimate? They've done it four straight. Oh, yeah. yeah three yeah, of those opponents being yeah. top four teams in the Western Conference. And the answer is sort of, because the the Suns have done a much better job in ways that are repeatable. They've been forcing turnovers. They've been a lot better this year on the defensive glass, which had been a, a problem for them at times in the past. Still fouling a little bit more than you like. But the big thing is they have been extraordinarily lucky on opponent shooting. And that's true in a couple of different areas. Three-pointers, right now opponents are shooting just 30.5% beyond the arc using clean the glasses garbage time filter. That is unsustainably low. And even teams, there are there's a belief that there are some teams that can affect this number, though they can't control it like you can frequency. But then also, opponents are shooting 56% at the rim. That's the fourth lowest percentage in the entire NBA. So I haven't seen much from them other than their intensity level. Like a lot of the things are better for them, but those numbers, it doesn't seem like they're affecting those as much as they're benefiting because we're dealing with an extremely small sample size. So they're significantly better than I thought they would be in fundamental ways that will not change. And that's been true with and without DeAndre Ayton, which is extremely positive. But this extreme is not sustainable. Yeah, a couple of points to add there. They're still fouling like crazy, 29th in the NBA in opponent free throw rate. That And that's actually one of the stickier statistics, uh, i.e. something that stabilizes early. So I don't expect that to change. Turnover rate, their 10th. Their defensive rebounding is much better than last year. They sucked on the defensive glass last year, uh, partially because they're not giving up as many good shots at the basket, but also just because their scheme is much, much better uh, and they have better rebounders, better box out guys, more size in general. I mean, that's that's a big thing like they're not like a small team anymore the way they used to be um but they are the biggest component of their number four defense so far is that they're number one in e field goal percentage 46.1 you mentioned that rim shooting 56 percent at the rim allowed that would be basically best in the league levels like your league average there is in the low 60s most years you know that's like you've got rudy gobert on your team type of numbers that is unlikely to sustain it i mean i just don't they don't have i mean dario Saric and aaron baines have done a nice job so far this year and Aiton, when he comes back you know Aiton had one good game but he all, was also an entire year of being a terrible rim protector last year i think he can get better but you know i, I think in just being around their team a little bit the last couple of days there's and just based on what he was last year it's still going to be a work in progress i don't think we're going to see an overnight transformation to what he was on opening night especially against what's now very clearly a terrible kings team uh that we didn't know that at the time um so that's not going to sustain they are also allowing only 32.5 percent shooting on floaters that again i mean the evidence indicates that on anything outside the restricted area teams don't really affect the percentage that their opponents shoot league average is about 40 percent on floaters long mid-range yeah that's they're about league average there 40 percent and then you mentioned the three-point shooting as well so you just move all those numbers regress them to the mean and because they are largely dependent on that field goal percentage defense that's going to regress but i think they it's looking like they might be an average defense and considering what my preseason expectations were that they're going to be a bottom five defense uh it seems very clear that they're going to be better than expected on that end I mean, I think if I had to guess of where they're going to end up, you know, I mean, especially again, considering Aiton is going to come back at some point, you know, maybe in the 15 to 20 type range, but their defense clearly is much better, Danny. I mean, I thought last night they... 
granted against a, a Warriors team that might be pretty bad I mean they were very active they had those nine steals in the first half they were really plugging up the roll man extremely well forcing turnovers Rubio really helps them Devin Booker is trying harder um was the question at all about their offense I mean I guess we can talk about that too um I, I like the way that Booker is being used so many more of his shots now are coming off of action he's finally being used a little bit more like the way people thought that he would out of Kentucky where he's doing more off the ball quick hitting actions it's not just okay pick and roll back all the way up to half court uh, and uh, try to set it up uh, uh, against a defense uh, that's waiting for it uh they're running more as well now some guys are totally over their heads like Javon Carter for example I mean they're so their coaching staff told me that they were really pleased with his shooting basically since they got him but again the guy shot 30 percent last year like he's not going to keep going at this rate so ultimately I I think it's very clear with the number one net rating in the NBA right now that they're not you know a 25 type of win team 27 win team like I thought they're gonna be I'm not ready to pencil them in as a playoff contender yet but I think certainly I would adjust my expectations to like the mid 30s in wins right now with the possibility that they could be even better you know they play five more games the way like this and yeah I'll be taking them very seriously a question from Rob MCL 16 stated on the 15 and 60 that the Timberwolves lack wing depth however with Covington Layman Akogi Graham Culver Wiggins and two bigs with the mobility play the four they have plenty of rotation level wings no they don't <laughs> i mean one thing to yeah. remember there is if you're counting the two through the four how many starting un- unambiguous starting caliber yeah, I, players I mean, do you, you need, have there you need five players for those you spots. need five and they have one clear starting caliber player now they have a lot of options and i like travion graham i like josh akoki andrew wiggins as a rotation level player is fine but well maybe i mean i think mm-hmm. we'll see uh, with him of just like he might just be such a negative player at this point with like yeah but i, I think theoretically if you played him in the absence of other stars you know like the idea of the kind of the demar Derozan idea that stopping up possessions on units well, oh that don't God. have i mean how dare defense. you besmirch this uh besmirch demar Derozan by comparing him to this version of andrew wiggins fair like, demar no, but Derozan it, no but it's the, so the, much better than andrew wiggins. no but the the idea that demar Derozan in a different role was less destructive than than that, that's the idea that i was getting at was that and like demar Derozan actually helped you win basketball that's games true. in the regular season like andrew wiggins he's uh, let me actually like look at his stats here so i have him in front of me i know he's had a couple of just terrible games um and he's also like had two i uh, was it two huge fourth quarters when they what really helped yeah I, I mean he, which is hilarious you're, you're probably overrating his contributions uh, i mean you meaning just the the royal you not you specifically but how dare you uh yeah andrew wiggins 50 percent true shooting on the year and uh ooh, sterling assist percentage here 5.0 percent baby how are uh, how are his block and at, steal rates and tw- yeah and uh 26 percent usage i mean that's good that's got to be pretty close to the lowest assist percentage with that level of usage in the league i mean that's incredibly incredibly low so uh and, and he never gets the line anymore so i mean to me he's like actively taking stuff off the table in the role that he's in right now if you reduce his usage maybe he gets more efficient but just like all right you want to have 500 true shooting and have like 15 percent usage yeah that's not very good but at least you're still only applying that below average efficiency to 15 percent of the possessions instead of 25 percent of the possessions um anyway but yeah back to your larger point here there's nobody else that you can say is like a clear starting quality player outside of Covington at this point to me at least and and starting caliber is so much more important than having a bunch of rotation level guys because it doesn't solve the questions that well, you had and, and none of those guys are two-way players at this point some of them are zero-way players I, I had strangely enough I had I had never 
really look this up, but do you want to do you want to guess what happens? So his true shooting actually slightly goes down. But last year, when the limited amount of time that Carl Anthony Towns played without Andrew Wiggins, because they square so much of their so much of their minutes together, his usage went from twenty six point seven percent to thirty one point three. And just taking any shot that you take away from Carl Anthony Towns is probably a bad thing for your offense. But if you're taking an Andrew Wiggins sh- or taking an Andrew Wiggins shot instead of a Carl Anthony Towns shot, that's catastrophic. Some other interesting notes on the Wolves here. Uh, I mean, and, and again, let, let, let's just go through the stats of some of the guys that he mentioned, right? I mean, you know, Covington's not shooting it well this year. He'll come around. But Travion Graham, uh, I mean, much as I love him, much as he makes plays, you look down and he's, you know, 39% true shooting. Jake Lehman, 6.8 PER, 48% true shooting. Uh, Akogi has been more efficient. He's actually shooting the three a little bit but not making him it's just been his other game that's been so good and he's a really good defensive player i mean that's something to really like about him so i mean he, he may be a rotation quality player just because of his defense but it's just it'll get to where it's tough to play him offense and maybe towns is a good enough shooter that the fact that okogi can't shoot threes isn't the end of the world but you know again you would like to have some shooting around carl anthony towns um jared culver 0.8 pr 28 percent true shooting 58 minutes in four games and a lot of those have come in garbage time jordan bell yeah, maybe should get more time but he shouldn't play the four he's a five Noah Vonley shouldn't play the four he's a five so yeah I mean it's not uh an unbelievable group there okay let's do a lightning round uh here's one Riley Bambi is Jason Tatum a great defender no he is not strong enough doesn't really make plays I think he when teams go at him one-on-one I'm usually like pretty disappointed with the results so guys seem to go right through him a lot he's not physical I also don't think he's like super quick to like get over screens or guard point guards so I think he's at best adequate to me right now I mean he's got some length I think he's going to get better but I think it's more like he kind of looks like a a really good defender so teams don't go at him but I think his contributions to me have been quite overrated on that end to date where do you want to go here uh I'm not going to read the handle on this one um but what what's the process for getting Damian Lee's two-way converted do they need to drop a player on waivers the big problem for the Warriors right now is the hard cap so they can't do anything that gets them over the hard cap and converting Damian Lee at this point would do it as far as I if I have the numbers correct and I'm pretty sure that I do so they they can't without trading somebody else and I don't think they're trading anybody else right now. Theoretically, they can run through a portion of Lee's 45 days allowable under the two-way contract. And then at a later point when the prorated portion of his salary is sufficiently low, maybe they could do it then. Like it's kind of along the lines of what Hollinger has said about cutting Marquise Chris and then playing dance. Just one of those players, instead of it being a veteran's minimum guy, it just is Damian Lee by converting him. So that that's really the way that it would happen. But the hard cap is the, is the big consideration there. And they'll use the 45 days pretty aggressively i'm guessing but i don't know maybe they pivot a little bit now if they can but they don't have many bodies left they'll use kai bowman's pretty quickly too riley patrick 87 will most of new orleans defensive issues improve with tightening of rotations no i do not believe so uh i mean you can tighten the rotation but down to who right well I, well I mean, t- tightening the rotation by adding drew holiday and Derek favors back if they're healthy yes that will help yeah, a lot but but i mean it seems like favors you know he's doubtful for tonight now uh, as we're recording this thursday morning he's got this knee soreness who knows how effective he is but i think also i kind of alvin gentry as a defensive coach just he's never really had an above average defense he wants to run he wants to play small he defaults to that from a personnel standpoint i mean favors even when healthy wasn't closing games a lot of the time uh and you know i'm just not sure that he's a great defensive coach he does have bizdelic there but they have a few lineups they can get to that can defend i think and i 
thought their defense could be pretty good based on the personnel zion also hasn't been as i mean i didn't think he was going to be great but he's been worse than i thought so when he comes back you know i don't think that's going to help very much i think they're going to play zion a lot at center which is probably good for his overall development but i think they're going to be more just of of an offensive team that's just the way gentry wants to go so no i I think they're gonna i mean their shot location data is uh pretty miserable as uh hollinger was pointing out uh, on the pod we did over the weekend so uh all right next one here 30 seconds on the clock four uh from elliot wood five is it just me or is danny's give a shit meter going well on the defensive end seems like more teams are interested in playing defense this year which is fantastic it i would say anecdotally that the 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 average team is a little bit more engaged defensively but there are absolutely teams towards the bottom i mean the warriors transition defense which i've seen up close a couple times already has been bad we watched a portion of that houston washington game yesterday which was glorious in many ways but was also just a lot of bad defensive execution so i i think overall it has been a little bit better but it's not some sort of like massive sea change but it is good to see teams like the suns for example like they their give a shit meter has spiked and that's fantastic yeah, some of the teams whose defenses I thought were going to be the worst, although uh, the Wizards uh, might drop out a little bit of the defensive rankings after giving up 159 points in regulation. I mean, kudos them for scoring 158, but nonetheless. Um, but also, teams just generally try harder early in the season. Offensive efficiency generally goes up as the season goes along as well. So yeah, I think teams generally are trying harder. There's a lot of the bad teams have new coaches as well, which I, I think is in particular those teams uh, try harder so but i mean i think teams always try hard uh, on defense relative to what a lot of fans love to believe about the nba like if you consider how much work it actually takes to like cover all of the ground around the three-point line in today's nba compared to where it was years ago like the whole uh, all these experts like oh players don't play hard it's like yeah let's see uh, uh or like i used to play 45 minutes a game how come they don't let's see if you could manage to cover all this ground defensively uh, and then we'll talk um ben tab 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 hmm, i think i'll order a tab what are your key metrics you look at to determine a team's true form this early in the season? I've heard you mention team and opponent shot locations a lot recently. Yeah, I think that's something you can look at. I mean, number one, I just look at what their net rating is. Schedule you have to consider after three, four games, both in terms of style, right? Like if you've played the Spurs, for example, your defensive shot locations are probably going to look better. Uh, Seth had a good piece on this the other day that two-thirds, one-third is the distribution in quote-unquote credit of shot locations between offense and defense. So your offense determines it two-thirds the defense determines it one-third um three-point shooting obviously if there's something fluky there uh but as we just talked about from the sun it's just fluky opponent shooting from any any range uh also just look at individual players as well of just if people are just shooting it extremely well or extremely poorly compared to track records so it's pretty much an all-encompassing look at every available statistic but you look at the ones just knowing what uh, the general spread is in the league that are just clearly not going to sustain because that basically never happens i mean i think that's the number one thing that you look at there uh at least for me i think this will be the last one um from sh3kir11 I'm guessing that makes a word, but anyway, I'm not getting it. Do the first few games change your views about the playoff picture of the East and West? And the answer is, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Warriors are likely out, and that's incredibly important. Dallas looks a lot better. The Pelicans are, you know, they were a fringy team before. Now they're a lot less likely. Yeah. The Kings were a fringy team, and I don't expect them to make it now. And then who who fills in? Dallas probably has a good chance. Yeah, I mean, and Wolves. Uh, I think wolves the Wolves have, are, wolves have are a shot. I, I, I'm more positive in the Spurs now than it was before, though there's some yeah. stuff there. Just, I mean, banking three wins is useful. And then in the East... Well, well I mean, Suns might even yeah, have to get in, especially if, if the bar...
bar is going to be lower now, which maybe it is. Which maybe it is. Yeah, the, the, they, they absolutely have a better chance than I thought before. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, things are breaking really well for the Suns right now. Again, we'll, we'll see whether this sustains or not. I, I sure. have a level of skepticism. You don't just throw out your preseason expectations. Yeah, and, and, worth, on, but. and worth mentioning that a lot of the other top, like the top teams in the West, those are looking good like we expected. You know, the Lakers, the Rockets, the Nugs, all that. And then they're not looking amazing necessarily, but they're looking like playoff teams. So that that's a little bit different. And then the in the East, the Pacers are definitely looking worse. That is probably the most significant swing. And then what I found notable about the the East is that the fringy teams have not looked good. Like Chicago has been awful. So and, and the Hawks. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, they've lost three close games. Yeah, but they've lost three close games. They lost to the Cavs. <laughs> Yeah, on the road. I mean, all right. Well, well. so I picked Chicago to win 35 games this year, and I picked Cleveland to win 24. A 35-win team on the road against a 24-win team. And, you know, Cleveland might actually be better than that now. But even if you're just going by preseason expectations, a 35-win team on the road against a 24-win team is probably a, a slight underdog. Yeah, I guess that's fair. And and some of their players are less healthy, at least at this moment, than, than, they were, than I thought they were to start the season. But, yeah, I mean, also losing to the Knicks. In, in the fashion when blowing such a big lead yeah, yeah. there were there oh yeah no you're right they've lost they lost three close games yeah three close games and they won one close game yeah if we're, we're counting the next game as a close game because it was they it swung it swung in the last few minutes right and then they got just destroyed by the raptors but that's not that's not catastrophic you know that's not a huge deal either way um but yeah so but in the east what i was going to say is that nobody nobody that was outside of like the pack that i saw has really moved up especially with trey young being out for a little bit with the hawks i think that's that's them you know the hornets are better but i don't think they're playoff team better or anything like that so i think that could open things up especially if when oladipo comes back so the east picture not significantly different than i expected but the west the west there are some notable changes nets look bad so far too that's true um yeah i mean that's something that we'll probably maybe we'll do that for an episode next week of like all right let's really recalibrate our preseason expectations um maybe once we have another week or so under our belt all right let's do some news here we're giving you a nice long episode uh since we only had four this week i guess we can start with the minnesota philly brouhaha from last night carl anthony towns i'm sure and joel Embiid. i'm sure you've seen it uh, became engaged unclear who the instigator was you know i think they both deserve uh, some blame there there's uh, been a lot of shit talking for these guys going back to joel's instagram comment about how carl doesn't play any defense and then it really hit the fan carl anthony town's mom giving the double bird to Embiid as he went into the tunnel then Embiid uh, with a social media post talking about that then carl Tan's coming back they called each other some problematic words it was rather amusing but also rather petty and sad at, at times as well as it often is when guys try to prove who's the bigger man in public i, I could have maybe used a little bit more subtlety to some of the insults but ultimately now no punches were thrown in incidents where we've even seen punches thrown you know it's been like a game or two like remember like the robin lopez Serge Ibaka fight well and also like even this the brandon ingram thing last year was so much more extreme than this and he only got four. Oh yeah so i i think it would, at least for the on-court stuff there's also the wolves are trying to get like ben simmons suspended because the refs at the time said he was a peacemaker he stayed in the game but he also was choking carl towns from behind leading to 
to a, a, a meme of well, Carl Towns tapping out. Well, but, and something I mean, something that I have a question about there is, I mean, it's pretty, I, I, I believe that Simmons and Carl Anthony Towns are friends. And I wonder if that factors in as well. Is like, well, I know they do interviews. So maybe Towns says, hey, yeah. he was, that was nothing. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, if well, the Wolves are trying to get him suspended. Well, here's, so, here's something to... else on that. I wonder if part of the reason the Wolves are trying to get Simmons suspended is because the, the next couple of games for the Sixers are against Western Conference teams, Portland, Phoenix, Utah, Denver. So a suspension would actually materially help them in the playoff race. Yeah. Uh, winning some games would also materially help them in the playoff race. Um, but I, I think also now the social media aspect, especially with some, frankly, sexist words being used, that is just a bad look for the league overall, in addition to getting into the fight. And so that to me is the variable here i will probably find out later today what the suspensions are, are gonna be I, I think it's gonna be i think it might be two when you throw in the social media component i think it probably would have been one without that but uh, and i mean if carl anthony towns doesn't play the wolves are gonna lose i mean like, that's pretty like he, he's probably been the mvp so far uh at least going into that philly game and uh eh, they don't have much else on that team as we talked about earlier so i mean this this actually you know we could look back on this at the end of the year as having impacted the wolves playoff chances again i, I expect them to kind of fall out of it a little bit um but well uh yeah an update on the big story that we started with anthony slater of the athletic has it that steph curry's ct scan is done but we do not know the results yet they're going to have some specialists look at those results and i it's kind of sounds like there's going to be an announcement at least at, uh, on friday maybe of whether he's going to have surgery or not which as we talked about with the jeff stott stuff from before is the key determining factor in terms of how long he'll be out will those specialists include their analytics team breaking down the potential lottery standings maybe uh all right other wolf stuff Woj reported uh on his pod with russillo that they the wolves want to make it into the playoffs they would love to upgrade the point guard position uh they of course tried to get d'angelo uh and that they could be trying for other point guards and jeff teague actually has been pretty good so far so i mean (laughs) jeff teague's been better than d'angelo russell so far that's for damn sure so so we'll, we'll see whether that continues. I mean, Teague obviously isn't the long-term solution there at age 31. Uh, and then Philly, since we're on them, Shake Milton suffered a left knee bone bruise and a mild sprain. He's going to miss at least five games, probably more as he's not even set to be reevaluated until after five games are in the books. He suffered that injury against the Hawks earlier in the week. Uh, let's turn to those Hawks now. Thankfully, the Trey Young ankle sprain is not severe enough that we had to put it in the open of the show. That would have been tough. Uh, it looks like it's going to be, you know, maybe in the more one to two week range for Trey. And it will be incredibly hard for the Hawks to put together an offense and win games during that time, partially because Travis Schlenk decided to put together a roster with only a few ball handlers on it and they don't, and no real backup point guard. So nobody to step up that now that Trey's hurt. It's also disappointing because he's just been awesome to start the year. But thankfully, it's one to two weeks as opposed to something longer. Yeah. Watch the NBA cast tonight, four o'clock Pacific time. It's going to be amazing. I mean, it'll still be fun. It's- it's always fun and we could focus in on some of these other Atlanta young players. Um, and I mean, it's, I, I, I love doing the NBA cast for any game and I kind of like doing it more for the teams that we don't do it for all the time and that not everyone knows that much about. So they're, they're playing Miami tonight. So watch that. Um, Alan Crabb, another guy I think they could use with his shooting. He's out until at least mid November. They are extremely cautious with the, a lot of these players. Ty Wallace, who they claimed off waivers right at the start of the season, he's actually playing now. Uh, Evan Turner's going to be out tonight also. Chandler Parsons, who provides some ball handling when healthy four years ago, uh, he's out 
indefinitely with load management bilateral knees so i guess you know maybe they go with herder but herder is on a minutes limit as well at about 20 minutes recently so i think yeah, we're gonna see some cam reddish with the ball in his hands a lot of that probably yeah may, maybe it'll be that i mean deandre hunter to the extent he'll have all he can eat uh but yeah they uh we talked about how not having a backup point guard might hurt them and i mean it's gonna be really hard for them to win games maybe it'll be better defensively just with a little more size but um probably not Boston, uh, Romeo Langford really has uh, had a star-crossed start to his career. He's been out indefinitely with a knee sprain. And Ennis Cantor did not play in their stirring win over the Bucks last night. Uh, three straight now that he has missed due to a knee contusion. And three straight hits to my wallet, potentially in my bet with Jared Weiss, that they would, wouldn't close with no center. He's already banked three games, and all he has to get to is 25% of the year of them closing games without a center before uh, I'm going to owe him a substantial dinner in vegas for charlotte i don't know that we hit on this at all but nick batum out three or four weeks after suffering a middle finger injury on opening night against the bulls and that's just fine batum is pretty washed at this point not even necessarily washed adjacent and they've got some young wings bridges washington that they really want to get a look at so that's not really going to hurt them on the floor uh in cleveland ante zizic's option is not picked up he's been struggling with injuries and, and just hasn't been at an nba level defensively so kind of a disappointing career i mean next time everyone's like oh man the uh guy put up great numbers in the adriatic league you know you're Jokic, you're nurkic uh how can anyone miss on this guy well zizic was putting up the numbers that were kind of like that too and you know certainly now with the passing component of Jokic, but uh zizic has never really gotten any traction in the nba so it looks like he uh i mean that's one of those ones danny where you're just like they should be prepared to waive him exactly a- absolutely i mean the Cavs can do a lot more experimentation with that roster spot. And I, I'm sure they would like to trade him just to get a little bit more breathing room under the tax, but I don't think they would really give up anything. So if a team wants, would rather have Zizic than their 14th or 15th dude, absolutely. But if not, they should cut him. Use that, try out a bunch of different people, especially once 10 days come in. But even now, I mean, a non-guaranteed player that you can cycle through would be nice. Detroit Reggie Jackson uh, has been out. He is not playing on this two-game road trip that the Pistons are on lower back injury for him uh they did get Tim Frazier as a third point guard he's a decent enough third point guard he's actually been starting and Derek Rose coming off the bench Rose uh struggled a couple of games now after a, a really hot start to the year Indiana we mentioned Miles Turner spraining his ankle against the Nets uh, they went to Justin Holiday starting in the second half without him. And uh, as mentioned earlier, beat Brooklyn. There's supposed to be an MRI today for Turner, but uh, according to their beat guy for The Athletic, theathletic.com slash Capspace, Scott Agnes, uh, he should miss at least a few games. Uh, Kawhi missed that game against Utah. He's going to play tonight in San Antonio. Load management, which is to make sure. Yeah. And I mean, again, maybe he just doesn't play in a single back-to-back. I mean, that. That was a great approach with Toronto. So uh, maybe they'll just do that again uh, with him. Uh, and he's been limited to about 30 minutes in the games he has played. And then uh, Roddy Magruder is back for them from a high ankle sprain um, and it gives them some additional wing depth. Uh, what else we got here? Kyle Kuzma will make his 2019-20 debut with the Lakers after a left foot issue actually pulled him from Team USA before then. And we wondered if it was a real thing. It most definitely was because he's been missing that time. It'll be exciting to see him back. And it'll probably still be a little bit more time for Rajon Rondo it sounds like when he comes back and this is not a good sign for those of us who want to see the Lakers be fun that he that Vogel wants to play Rondo 25 to 30 minutes a game and start some of them but that will only be when he returns and the MRI said a mild calf strain so we'll keep an eye on that yeah and the Lakers are starting to play 
played pretty well against admittedly a soft early schedule a lot of home games anthony davis had 40 and 20 in three quarters against the grizz grizz played a pretty fast pace and also i uh, don't have anyone to match up with anthony davis not a lot of teams do but uh davis was 26 of 27 from the foul line in that game james johnson is back with the heat he finally passed his conditioning test we'll see whether he gets into the rotation or not you know it's i think he really struggled to shoot it last year he may be about done but he's also only has to beat out myers leonard for minutes uh leonard hasn't shot it well but he at least spaces the floor which johnson doesn't do as much Derek jones with a groin injury has now missed a couple of games i loved the way he was working with the linic on the second unit in that bucks game but he hasn't played since then uh the heat don't really do that many injury updates but it seems like jones is going to be out for a bit and uh Deion waiters is not accompanying the team to atlanta tonight he's been reinstated he's at least getting paid but it seems like he's still effectively suspended as far as actually like being with the team on the floor the new york knicks are dealing with some additional point guard absences dennis smith is going to miss a few more games due to the death of his stepmother and elford payton is out with a hamstring issue probably at least a week or two so that puts a lot on the shoulders of still msg favorite frank nilkina and presumably that can also be a lot more for rj barrett who has done well with the ball in his hands overall yeah and they they started barrett and ellington or i think that's the plan to start them i, I saw that on Twitter. i can't remember those four did they play last night yeah they lost to the orlando magic okay yeah so i think they started ellington and barrett in that game which i like i like barrett uh playing some at point guard with the shooters around him uh, peyton that one to two weeks that's not an official diagnosis that's just my guess just anytime a player suffers a hamstring injury that causes them to leave that game it's very rarely less than a week andre robertson is still out there's really no word on him coming back what his activity level is it seems like he's just dealing with soreness that when it ramps up his activity he's just uh, has to dial it back so they're really uh, this is you know considering how long it's been now since he's played we're coming up on the two-year mark of that torn patellar tendon for him and you remember he had additional surgeries last year missed all of last year so uh, i mean i'm i'm uh it seems like this is going to be kind of like a chandler parsons type of situation maybe for him going forward here which w- would be a real bummer i hope that's not the case and then steven adams is day-to-day with a knee contusion he did not play in their loss to portland right now okc has the worst difference between their expected wins and their actual wins at one and four they had that blowout of the warriors and they've had some close losses aside from that uh a little bit of interesting news out of orlando from our friend mark stein that the magic have applied to have timofey mozgov's remaining contract removed from their books due to the career-ending injury and illness provisions this could bring some light to something that had intrigued us as to why the magic stretched mozgov's contract because it looked like they were doing that to squeeze under the tax which i mean because of when they signed out for ukaminu and all that kind of stuff but if they have a hope or an expectation that his contract will be removed entirely that makes even more sense i can't speak to the viability of that claim because i don't know the specifics in terms of the timing of the injury and when you know when it was known or when it could have been known because that's an important characteristic here and because mozgov was traded last offseason whether that issue was known or could have been should have been known or something like that i I consulted a little bit with uh, josh robbins of the athletic on his piece on this and that was really kind of like what i said but it would be nice for the magic to just get off of that 5.7 million per season 
even though it doesn't necessarily affect their them that much in the immediate because of the spending that they've already had, it, it would still be nice because of bringing the decisions with Augustine and Fournier, most notably, next summer. Yeah, and they may at least have some issues with using the full mid-level exception the next couple of that years, that getting that money off their books it could help with. In Portland, sounding like a week-to-week injury right now for Zach Collins with his dislocated shoulder, and there was talk that he it popped right back in and his range of motion is better, but I mean, he's still dislocated his shoulder uh pow and nurkic are still also out as well nurkic is of course for quite some time no word on pow doesn't sound like he's practicing yet he was getting some shots up the other day they could really use him i mean they got one center on the roster now that's the sun Whiteside and uh scal maybe as a backup center but you know he, he's for the way that terry stotts wants to play he's not necessarily an ideal type of backup center uh and then in washington jordan mcgray who had actually been playing for them a little bit uh has a fingertip fracture on his right ring finger he had surgery no timetable yet for him cj miles is practicing remember he's been dealing with a foot injury but they've actually been okay enough with isaac bonga and rui who was three of three from downtown last night uh hit his first three three pointers in the nba in that crazy game against houston and also at the three troy brown returned from a calf strain that had kept him out uh, for almost a month here so good to see him back on the floor he looked comfortable shooting the ball that's going to be a big swing skill of course for him anything you want to talk about before we go here yeah i'll i'll mention i actually haven't recorded it yet and i'm always paranoid about jinxing it but this week's real jam radio will be recorded shortly with jared dubin we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about he's a cap nerd like the two of us so we're going to talk about the impact of the extensions on the 2020 offseason presumably steph curry and a bunch of other stuff as well speak for yourself i'm not a nerd yeah <laughs> i mean you called yourself one last night on twitter <laughs> Oh, oh should we just mention briefly that terrible Zach Levine being that he gave up that cut to Colin Sexton? Oh, oh yeah, and he got poor Wendell Carter dunked on at the at the end of the game because when uh, Colin Sexton just back cut him. I'm sure John Beeline was like, "Hey, uh, if you got Zach Levine on you at the back at the end of the game, uh, just make a back cut. You're probably going to get open." And then Colin Sexton. Uh, does deserve some credit for dunking it all over Wendell Carter. But, you know, Wendell Carter did a good job to even get into the picture when you give up, like, that quick of a back cut. Um, and don't forget, Hollinger and Duncan is out there. Subscribe there. Uh, we'll have a new episode of that probably out Sunday night before Dunk Dunk comes out. Search Hollinger and Duncan in your favorite podcast player. I would imagine if you want to be efficient, even searching Hollinger would probably bring it up at this point. Oh, oh, dude, we never talked about the NCAA uh, is it going to allow students to benefit from their likenesses? I I should really organize the spreadsheet a little bit better. Um, that's good. That makes our promotion better, though, if to actually have something after to do this this false ending. Um, now, putting aside that the NCA is probably going to implement this in some stupid and overly bureaucratic way. I think we could both be pretty happy about this, right? Um, yeah, I mean, but, it's yeah. it's definitely a step in the right direction. How big a step in the right direction depends on implementation and execution, and I have zero faith whatsoever in the NCAA to do so. What I'm interested in here is how it affects the 17, 18-year-olds' decisions, not only necessarily now for going into college and staying in versus the NBL or some of the other things, but also, I mean, we're, we're looking at this in the context of the NBA hopefully reversing the age limit decision that they made before and players, prospects determining all of those same options with the NBA being an option as well. And in that context, I would say if a player is, you know, a definite or exceedingly likely first round pick, the NBA is a very light, is a very reasonable path. But then maybe if you're not there, then college becomes a more viable potential landing spot for one year, potentially significantly more. Yeah, I like it just because guys who are really good college players 
who are kind of BMOC, but then are just not really NBA prospects. Like they can actually benefit off their likeness for a time when they're good college players and that will be useful for them if they don't have lucrative pro careers ahead of them i think in football that really matters a lot as well i mean you know if you had like a you know a ken dorsey type who was just you know like in the heisman conversation but was like never going to get to be a great pro quarterback you know that that's the type of player I'm, I'm thinking about but uh from the nba standpoint i'd be interested to see whether more kids potentially stay in school and just how much money this is actually going to be right i mean is this, are we talking you know a couple hundred thousand a year or are we talking about diane williamson has a massive five million dollar a year shoe contract before he ever gets to duke and i mean shit like maybe nike would say you're gonna sell more shoes for us at duke than you are playing for the new orleans pelicans you stay in school we're gonna pay you 10 million a year you go to the pels we're gonna pay you five you know i mean like that that could especially with the tie-in and the the, so presumably there are gonna be some safeguards in place in theory that'll be circumvented most likely shall we say but maybe something like that's gonna happen i'm very interested to see like what the dollar figures are and you know whether it's jim bob's local car dealership in auburn or whether it's nike where the bulk of this is going to be coming from also will be interesting to see now what happens with like the licensing of agents where there's been pushback from agents uh, on the requirements that the ncaa is putting in there it's gonna be pretty important to have an agent now if you're in school and you can benefit from their your likeness you're not going to be doing all these business deals yourself so there's going to have to be some sort of a detente there i mean for my own selfish standpoints because i don't like college basketball i hope that players still come to the nba soon and you would think ultimately because of the way rookie contracts work and you're going to get a four-year indentured servitude before you get to be a free agent and be properly paid as you like to say that players are still going to come out at deer fox was asked about that and he was like fuck no i wouldn't have stayed for more than a year even if uh, i were getting paid more but maybe the money will be enough for, for some of these guys that uh, especially if you're they're kind of thinking short term they might stay at least for one more year uh, at uh, some of these big schools and then of course you know where are these kids going to go how is that going to change based on potential sponsorship availability david Locke was saying that you know the la schools will be cool again we'll see whether it's that whether this money comes from boosters whether it comes i'm just very very interested to see how this is all going to evolve but kudos to the state of california uh for basically forcing this to happen and like the first decent piece of legislation that's been passed in california in like uh 50 years mostly kidding there californians but we do have some bad laws in the books that's uh that, that could be a new podcast i don't know anything else you want to say on this i i know i prattled on there for quite a bit i'm hopeful that we're going to get ncaa video games again so that that would be exciting that's my last contribution <laughs> all right uh, that'll be uh, the last contribution of the show thanks again to the athletic for sponsoring today's pod subscribe today and enjoy smarter sports coverage no ads no pop-ups no auto-playing videos man those things are so annoying see how good sports coverage can be when it's not just basic game recaps and here's your newser on sean livingston being out for two weeks with a calf strain and these reporters are freed up to write the stuff that they've always wanted to write the athletic.com slash cap space is your url to get 40 percent off a yearly subscription you get that yearly subscription and it's only 2.99 a month the athletic.com slash cap space don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us